It's more than four months since the city of Wuhan in China's Hubei province was locked down and the world began to realize that a novel coronavirus had been identified and was spreading. More than 6.9 million cases of COVID-19 have been reported worldwide and the death toll is now put at more than 400,000. Doctors are grappling with symptoms that are unlike those they dealt with in the previous SARS and MERS epidemics and are struggling to find the best treatments in a situation that's evolving all the time. They're seeing patients in a condition that is more like high-altitude sickness than pneumonia and people suffering from blood clots that appear to be an effect of infection with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Doctors in the US, Britain and Italy are reporting increases in cases of the rare inflammatory disorder Kawasaki disease in young children and a links being made with SARS-CoV-2. According to a new study by a group of Chinese scientists, SARS-CoV-2 uses the same strategy to evade attack from the human immune system as the human immunodeficiency virus HIV does. According to the Chinese researchers, whose report was published as a preprint and has not been peer-reviewed, both viruses remove marker molecules on the surface of an infected cell that are used by the immune system to identify invaders. The researchers warned that this commonality could mean that SARS-CoV-2 could be around for some time, like HIV. The Chinese scientists collected T-cells from five patients who'd recently recovered from COVID-19. These cells are generated by people after they're infected with SARS-CoV-2 and their job is to find and destroy the virus. The T-cells used in the study were not effective at eliminating SARS-CoV-2 in infected cells. The Chinese scientists found that a molecule known as Major Histocompatibility Complex, MHC, was missing. As researchers work to understand more about how SARS-CoV-2 operates, pharmaceutical companies in the US, China, the UK, India and Australia are announcing their progress or lack of progress in the race to find a vaccine. A pharmaceutical company in San Diego in the US, Sorrento Therapeutics, says it's identified a specific antibody that it says inhibits SARS-CoV-2 infection of healthy cells. Scientists are also examining how SARS-CoV-2 has made its way around the world. The results of a study by a group of researchers from the US, Canada, Scotland and Belgium challenge previous findings about how the earliest sustained SARS-CoV-2 transmission networks became established in Europe and the US. Michael Warraby et al. say their results refute findings that erroneously linked cases in Europe and the US in January 2020 with outbreaks that occurred weeks later. Rapid interventions successfully prevented onward transmission of early cases in Germany and Washington state, the researchers say. Later introductions of the virus from China to both Italy and Washington state founded the earliest sustained European and US transmission networks. Warraby et al. say their analyses reveal an extended period of missed opportunity. They say that intensive testing and contact tracing could have prevented SARS-CoV-2 from becoming established in the US and Europe. In spite of the continued deaths and the debilitation suffered by those infected by SARS-CoV-2, there's growing restlessness in the United States and in some European countries among those who demand an end to lockdowns and a return to what they consider to be normal life. 
The world has essentially divided into two main groups. The first group considers COVID-19 to be dangerous enough to warrant foregoing certain liberties for now so as to protect their own health and that of other people. The second group says COVID-19 is a pandemic, a hoax created to bring about a new world order, keep people under what they refer to as house arrest and force everyone to submit to mandatory vaccination. Some people find themselves stuck in the middle, worried about the pandemic but also concerned about the way the authorities in some countries appear to be using COVID-19 as a reason to restrict civil liberties. There's talk of the new normal, life after COVID-19, which will never be the same as it was pre-pandemic. Air travel, for example, will be transformed into an ordeal that even seasoned travellers will now dread. There's much resistance against the new normal among those who say it will be a totalitarian dystopia ruled by artificial intelligence. For environmentalists, a different kind of normal would be no bad thing. The earth is getting time to breathe during the lockdowns, they say, and animals are reclaiming spaces that humans had overwhelmed. Billions of people around the world are too poor and neglected to care about the new world order or the plans of the self-appointed vaccine czar Bill Gates. But those who do have the time to think about where the world is heading are frequently at loggerheads. Those complying with the COVID-19 restrictions are accused of being sheeple. Those protesting against confinement say their freedom to go out, work, not wear a mask and basically do what they wish is primordial. This pits them against those whose loved ones have died from COVID-19 or who are in the essential services and are working on the front line. Those who see COVID-19 as a real and ever-present danger consider the protesters to be selfish and short-sighted. There appears to be a distinct east-west divide, with the anti-lockdown protests mostly occurring in the west. European anti-lockdown protesters cite countries like Taiwan as examples of success against COVID-19 without lockdown, but they neglect to mention that Taiwan has employed widespread tracking, a digital fence that most Europeans would never accept. At the recent Autism One conference, which took place online this year, the American lawyer and environmentalist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said it was a tragedy that the issue of COVID-19 was turning into a partisan issue. It should be an issue that we can all talk about and that we can debate civilly, Kennedy said. This is going to affect our nation for generations. We ought to not be taking sides and moving into tribalism. The debate over the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for and the prevention of COVID-19 infection continues, with the US President Donald Trump saying he's been taking it as a prophylactic. The Food and Drug Administration in the US has given hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, from which it's derived, emergency use authorization for treating COVID-19. Hydroxychloroquine is being used to treat COVID-19 patients in several countries in Asia, including India and Malaysia. In India, it's been given as a prophylactic to healthcare workers and police, but plans to give it to people in slums in Mumbai have been shelved. Malaysia's Health Director General Noor Hisham Abdullah says COVID-19 patients who were in categories 1 and 2 in terms of the severity of their illness did not deteriorate into categories 4 and 5 when treated with hydroxychloroquine. 
On May the 25th, the World Health Organization announced that it had suspended a trial of the use of hydroxychloroquine for patients with COVID-19, saying it wanted to err on the side of caution. The WHO has since said that the trial safety committee reviewed the available mortality data and the trial would be resumed. The decision to halt the trial came after the publication of the results of a controversial study that covered six continents and contained an analysis of data from more than 96,000 patients. The study has now been retracted. The Lancet Medical Journal said the authors were unable to complete an independent audit of the data underpinning their analysis and, as a result, had concluded that they could no longer vouch for the veracity of the primary data sources. The researchers in the U.S. who conducted the study had said treatment with chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine offered no benefit for patients with COVID-19. They also said they found that the chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine drug regimens were associated with an increased risk of death. The study was criticized by 120 scientists from around the world who questioned the researchers' methodology. The scientists listed 10 main concerns about the statistical models and the data used. The director of the IHUMI University Hospital in Marseille, Didier Raoul, casts aside claims that the hydroxychloroquine is too dangerous to be used as a treatment for COVID-19. There are patients, Raoul says, who have been taking it as a treatment for rheumatoid arthritis for 30 years. Raoul argues that using hydroxychloroquine is safer than using new drugs whose toxicity has not yet been established. The antiviral drug remdesivir, which is much more expensive than hydroxychloroquine and was invented by the pharmaceutical company Gilead Sciences, originally to treat Ebola, has been much vaunted by the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in the U.S., Anthony Fauci. lockdowns have had a massively negative effect on economies, not least in countries that depend heavily on tourism, and innumerable businesses have gone under. The darker side of confinement also includes patients with health problems outside of COVID-19 being unable to get treatment or being too afraid to go to hospitals or clinics for a medical checkup. There is also the plight of migrant workers in India who had to leave the big cities because they could not afford to pay for accommodation and basic necessities. And thousands of seafarers are stranded on cargo and cruise vessels in foreign ports around the world. Millions of Indian migrant workers have walked hundreds of kilometers to reach their village. Mainstream and social media have carried harrowing images of whole families, many barefoot, trudging along roads night and day, carrying all they own and chasing after trucks to try and get a ride at least some of the way home. Sixteen migrant workers died when they were run over by a freight train in the state of Maharashtra. They'd fallen asleep on the railway tracks. Other migrants have died in the course of and after travelling on the Shramik special trains that have been designated to take migrants to their homes villages. One migrant worker was reported to have died on a Shramik special train after not getting water or food for 60 hours. And a one-month-old baby was reported to have died of heat and dehydration. Local media also reported on the death of a four-year-old who became desperately hungry when the Shramik special train took 39 hours to go from Delhi to Patna, more than double the usual time. The railway ministry has blamed route congestion for the lengthy delays. In Malaysia, meanwhile, the authorities have been criticised for 
for their treatment of undocumented workers during the pandemic. Several major raids were conducted in and just outside the capital, Kuala Lumpur, and more than 2,000 undocumented workers were taken to crowded detention centres, where there are now large clusters of COVID-19 cases. While most Malaysians remained indifferent to or supported the crackdown against undocumented workers, human rights activists condemned the raids. There's been a dramatic upsurge in domestic violence during the COVID-19 lockdowns. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres described this as horrifying. Guterres urged all governments to put women's safety first as they respond to the pandemic. In Beijing, China, the NGO Equality, which works to combat violence against women, has seen a surge in calls to its helpline since early February. Local media reported that in Hubei province, domestic violence reports to police more than tripled in one county alone in February. There have been similar reports in numerous countries, from Brazil, Russia, Cyprus, Singapore and Belgium, to Ireland, Italy, Australia, Poland and Britain. The National Commission for Women in India has recorded a 100% increase in domestic violence during the lockdowns. This just relates to reports sent to the Commission by email, so the real increase is certain to be higher. In France, police have reported a nationwide spike of about 30% in violence against women, including sexual violence. In Spain, the domestic abuse helpline received 18% more calls in the first two weeks of lockdown compared with the first two weeks of the previous month. Authorities in Britain reported that nearly three times as many women had been killed by their spouse during a three-week period during the COVID-19 lockdown than the average for the same period over the past decade. There is also concern that lockdowns are increasing the suicide rate. Antonio Guterres wrote in an article for Time magazine, unless we act now to address the mental health needs of associated with the pandemic, there will be enormous long-term consequences for families, communities and societies. The statistics for COVID-19 cases and deaths are widely disputed. Some say they are hugely overestimated and others say the number of cases and deaths must be much higher than the media reports. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, in the US caused consternation when it acknowledged that it was mixing the results of two different kinds of tests for SARS-CoV-2 infection. The two tests are the RT-QPCR test, which is designed to identify people who are actively infected and a more rapid serology test, which looks for antibodies to identify people who have previously been infected. There are serious concerns that this mixing of test results could be creating an inaccurate picture of the state of the pandemic in the US. Several states are reported to also be conflating the results of PCR and antibody tests. There is also controversy over the CDC's newly published infection fatality rate for COVID-19. The CDC is now saying that its best estimate of the overall COVID-19 death rate is 0.26%. Both PCR and antibody tests can give inaccurate results. The antibody tests are particularly unreliable. As several countries have eased their lockdown restrictions, new cases of COVID-19 have been reported. In France, 70 new cases of COVID-19 were recorded in schools just one week after they reopened. Beaches have been reopened in France to runners, swimmers and anglers, but sunbathing is still banned on most beaches. The beach at La Grande Motte in the south of France introduced a system whereby people could book a slot to sunbathe in one of 66 spaces cordoned off by ropes and wooden stakes.
South Korea had successfully controlled the spread of COVID-19, but in May a new outbreak hit the capital Seoul. The cluster was identified as being linked to the infection of a 29-year-old man who visited several establishments in the nightclub district of Itaewon on May the 2nd. South Korea's public health authorities announced that the man who later tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 may have come into contact with about 5,500 people. On May the 9th, the authorities in Seoul ordered the indefinite closure of all bars and clubs. Hundreds of schools in South Korea were obliged to close just days after they reopened. The day after thousands of students returned to school, 79 new COVID-19 cases were recorded, the highest daily figure in nearly two months. Elsewhere in the Asia-Pacific region, Vietnam has been very successful in its battle against COVID-19 and has not reported a single death. New Zealand is another success story and the country's Prime Minister has been praised for her handling of the COVID-19 crisis. Slovakia has had just 1,500 reported cases of COVID-19 and a death toll of 30. The country went into lockdown, closing all major airports before any COVID-19 deaths were reported. On May the 15th, Slovenia became the first European country to officially state that its COVID-19 epidemic was over. There had been fewer than seven new cases each day for the previous two weeks. Sweden has meanwhile been held up as an example of how to tackle COVID-19 without going into lockdown, but the picture is not as rosy as some would make out. Over the course of the pandemic, Sweden has had fewer deaths per capita than the United Kingdom, Spain, Italy, Belgium and France, which all opted for lockdowns. But the death toll is much higher than in neighbouring Denmark, Norway and Finland. Sweden and the UK have the most COVID-19 deaths per capita in the world, followed by Brazil. In Brazil, which has been hard hit by COVID-19, 15% of the fatalities attributed to the disease have been deaths of people aged under 50. In Mexico, nearly 25% of deaths attributed to COVID-19 have been of people aged between 25 and 49. And in India, officials reported in May that nearly half of those who have died from COVID-19 were aged under 60. In the U.S., more than 20,000 African Americans have died from COVID-19. This is nearly one in 2,000 of the country's entire black population. As the race to produce a vaccine gains pace, concerns about the dangers of such a vaccine or such vaccines, if several are brought to market, are growing. There's already fast-tracking and there's bound to be inadequate testing. There's much evidence that there's a plan to introduce global mandatory vaccination, and this would merge with Bill Gates' desire for digital certificates contained in quantum dot tattoos to be introduced to identify who has been tested for COVID-19, who has recovered, and who has been vaccinated against it. Gates describes himself as a health expert, but has no scientific qualifications. There are currently no DNA or RNA vaccines approved for human use, but Gates says that the time for trying these out on the world's population has arrived. On May the 18th, the American biotech company Moderna issued a press release that put a shiny gloss on results from the trials of their vaccine that are not as promising as the company makes out. 
Three people in the high-dose cohort of the Moderna trial suffered an adverse event. Moderna describes the effects on the three people receiving 250 micrograms of its vaccine as grade 3 systemic symptoms, only following the second dose. The company said all adverse events were transient and self-resolving, and no grade 4 adverse events or serious adverse events were reported. Moderna said its findings were based on results from the first eight people who each received two doses of its vaccine. The company said it was now proceeding on an accelerated timetable, with the next phase involving 600 people to begin soon. The company says the high 250 microgram dose is being eliminated from future studies. Not so much because of the side effects, but because the lower doses appeared to work so well that the high dose is not needed. There are serious concerns that the will with vaccines against SARS-CoV-2 be pathogenic priming, also known as disease enhancement. This happened with vaccines against SARS. The exposure of vaccinated animals to the SARS virus led to increased morbidity and mortality. Damien Gard, writing for the Stat News website, reported that Moderna's chief medical officer, Tal Zaks, began this year with nearly 100,000 shares in the company. In late February, days before Moderna announced that its coronavirus vaccine was ready for human testing, he began dumping 10,000 shares a week, Gard reported. Gard said that over the next 11 weeks, as the pandemic pushed Moderna's share price from $18 to $50, Zaks liquidated his entire position, making $3.4 million dollars in the process. Once Zacks ran out of stock, he began exercising options priced at $12.21 per share, Guard reported, adding that over the next two weeks, Zacks sold more than 250,000 more Moderna shares at an average price of $67. Zacks profited by more than $18 million from his 2020 trades and currently holds zero shares of Moderna stock, Guard said. Guard also reported that the top five executives at Moderna have sold more than $89 million dollars of stock so far this year, initiating nearly three times as many stock transactions than in all of 2019. In the trials of a vaccine being tested at Oxford University, none of the monkeys who were vaccinated were protected against SARS-CoV-2. Despite the Oxford University's vaccine failing to prevent infection in macaques and not stopping them from spreading the infection to others, there will still be trials on humans and no saline placebo will be used. There's been widespread criticism of the Oxford group's decision to use a meningitis vaccine as a control. Testing of a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2 is meanwhile set to start in Australia, where more than 100 people in Melbourne and Brisbane have volunteered to take part in the clinical trials. Globally, dozens of companies and institutions are involved in the race to produce a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. These include 14 projects in India. In China, five of the vaccine projects are at the stage of human trials. Beijing-based Sinovac Biotech, which developed one of the vaccines being tested, told the Agence France Presse news agency that it was looking to carry out the final stage of its trial abroad because China doesn't now have a large enough COVID-19 cluster. Scientists stress that overall children remain minimally affected by COVID-19, but there's concern about a reported increase in cases of Kawasaki disease in young children in the US, Britain and Italy, and researchers say there's a link with SARS-CoV-2. 
The recorded cases being linked with SARS-CoV-2 include one of a boy who died in Marseille. Local media quote France's public health agency as saying there were 125 reported cases of a Kawasaki-like disease in the country between March the 1st and May the 12th. The patients' ages ranged from 1 to 14. In a case in England, a 14-year-old boy with no underlying health conditions was reported to have died from Kawasaki disease at a London hospital on May the 13th. He had tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. The governor of New York said that three children diagnosed with Kawasaki disease in the state had died and more than 100 cases were being investigated. A Los Angeles-based children's hospital has meanwhile reported three cases of coronavirus patients who have shown Kawasaki disease symptoms. Kawasaki disease typically affects children under the age of five. It causes blood vessels to become inflamed and swollen. The typical symptoms include fever and rash, red eyes, dry or cracked lips or mouth, redness on the palms of the hands and soles of the feet, and swollen glands. Typically, about a quarter of children affected experience cardiac complications, but Kawasaki disease is rarely fatal if treated appropriately in hospital. It's not known what triggers the condition, but it is thought to be an abnormal immune immune overreaction to an infection. Researchers in Italy have reported on 10 cases of young children brought to a hospital in Bergamo who were diagnosed as having Kawasaki disease and being SARS-CoV-2 positive. Before the COVID-19 outbreak, doctors at the Bergamo hospital treated about one case of Kawasaki disease every three months. Between February the 18th and April the 20th this year, 10 children were treated for symptoms of the disease. Lucio Vadoni said he was very confident that the trigger for Kawasaki disease in the 10 children was SARS-CoV-2. He says coronaviruses trigger a very powerful inflammatory response in the host immune system, causing a cascade of inflammatory molecules. This is called a cytokine storm. Another of the study's authors emphasized that, in the researchers' experience, only a very small proportion of children infected with SARS-CoV-2 develop symptoms of Kawasaki disease. In a linked comment, Professor Russell Viner from the Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health in Britain said it was crucial to reiterate that children remained minimally affected by SARS-CoV-2 infection overall. The Japanese Kawasaki Disease Society states on its website that it's not yet found information in Japan or neighbouring countries that shows a connection between SARS-CoV-2 and Kawasaki disease. The WHO said in a briefing document that those children who did contract COVID-19 generally had milder symptoms than adults, but some children did require hospitalisation and intensive care. Plandemic theory, which has various strands ranging from claims that SARS-CoV-2 doesn't exist at all to the argument that it does exist but is no more dangerous than the flu and that global measures taken against the spread of COVID-19 are part of a planned assault on people's human rights, has been bolstered by a stream of videos on social media, including those featuring the controversial American research scientist Judy Mikovits, which garnered millions of views. 
Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo and Twitter removed the 26-minute pandemic video featuring Mikovits from their platforms, but the video is still on the far-right website BitChute, and Mikovits has been interviewed on other outlets such as London Real. Videos featuring Irish scientist Dolores Cahill, who chairs the far-right Irish Freedom Party, are also popular among those who say lockdowns have been a big mistake and COVID-19 is no big deal. Cahill is a strong advocate of the use of hydro hydroxychloroquine, both as a prophylactic and a treatment. The videos featuring Mikovits, Cahill and other anti-lockdown and anti-mask advocates are usually echo chamber presentations. The video interviewers are usually solid believers in the views of the interviewee, who's never challenged even on controversial points. YouTubers then come on board to debunk what's been said, and it's difficult for the general public to sift fact from fiction. Mikovits suspects that in people who do not have retroviral infections, SARS-CoV-2 causes no or only mild symptoms. Mikovits also says that anyone who has received a flu vaccine is likely to register as positive for SARS-CoV-2 in a PCR test. In an opinion piece for the British Medical Journal, Paul Garner, a professor of infectious diseases at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, talks about having COVID-19. It was, he says, a seven-week roller coaster of ill health, extreme emotions and utter exhaustion. In the first days at home, I wasn't sure I had COVID-19, he said. Then I damaged my hands with bleach. It had no smell. I assumed it was old and inactive, but it was just I could not smell the chlorine. Garner's condition deteriorated. He developed a tachycardia and a tightness in the chest and felt so unwell he thought he was dying. His mind became foggy. The tightness in Garner's chest was replaced by extreme fatigue. Sometimes he felt better, but then the next day he felt as though someone had hit him around the head with a cricket bat. The illness went on and on, Garner says, and the symptoms changed. A muggy head, acutely painful calf, upset stomach, tinnitus, pins and needles, aching all over, breathlessness, dizziness, arthritis in his hands. Every day there was something new. There is still no clarity about where SARS-CoV-2 originated, and there are numerous theories. These range from the theory that the virus originated in wildlife to suggestions that it was released, either accidentally or on purpose, from the National Biosafety Laboratory in Wuhan, or that it came from the American Biowarfare Laboratory in Fort Detrick, Maryland. French scientist Luc Montagnier, who was a joint winner of the 2008 Nobel Prize for Discovery of HIV, has caused controversy with his assertion that some sequences of HIV-1 have been found in the SARS-CoV-2 genome. Other scientists have challenged Montagnier's assertion, saying that each of these sequences also appears in other viruses. Montagnier says that the sequences must have been added to SARS-CoV-2 and that this could not have happened naturally. It's meticulous professional work, Montagnier says. Detractors say that a tiny bit of the SARS-CoV-2 genome is about 85% similar to part of the HIV-1 genome, but that the sequence can be found in other viruses. A paper by Indian scientists who said there were four unique inserts in the SARS-CoV-2 spike glycoprotein that were not present in any other coronavirus reported to date was retracted by the authors. In a paper published on February the 14th, 
A group of scientists in the U.S. say their results demonstrate no evidence that the sequences of the four inserts are HIV-1 specific or that SARS-CoV-2 obtained these insertions from HIV-1. Montagnier also puts forward the theory that the novel coronavirus came from the Wuhan laboratory, escaping in an industrial accident when Chinese scientists were attempting to develop a vaccine against HIV. Whatever the origins of SARS-CoV-2, there's widespread evidence that the virus has been mutating. Researchers in China have detected 33 mutations of the virus, including 19 that were previously undiscovered. The researchers found that the most aggressive strains of SARS-CoV-2 could generate 270 times as much viral load as the least potent type. The mutations that had the highest viral loads had also been found in most patients across Europe, according to Li and her colleagues. Those strains with lower viral loads were the predominant ones found in parts of the US. Scientists in Iceland say 291 mutations of SARS-CoV-2 have been found in the country that have not been identified elsewhere. Researchers from Germany and England have meanwhile identified three main variants of the virus. Pathologist Sin Hang Lee says four mutations of the virus have been identified in the US, two that were reported in California, one that was identified in Texas and one that was found in Massachusetts. For the full article on which this podcast is based, please go to changingtimes.media. Thanks for listening and do subscribe to Changing Times Media if you can. There are PayPal buttons on the website.